0: The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you grab a hold of them and open them up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We are in Ephesians. You can open a phone or a tablet. You can grab a hardback black Bible under every single chair. We will not be putting these verses on the screen, so I, I want you to open up the text and see this. But Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Hey, our online friends, we love you guys. Whether you're at home uh, for some reason or you're sick or you're out of town, we're glad you're with us as well. Grab your Bibles, open them to Ephesians 4 or click that little Bible tab. But uh, Ephesians 4 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. As you're meeting me there, let me recap a little bit here. Back in Ephesians 3, Paul said that um, while God does save individuals, like God saves individuals from, from sin and death and hell and bad things, uh, he does not only save people from those things, but he also saves people into something. So you know that like God doesn't just save us from stuff he actually saves us for stuff and into stuff and the thing that he told us in chapter 3 is that we are saved into is the body the church Okay, God reconciles people who are vastly different from one another into one new body, the church. All right, and and today or uh, last week in the beginning of chapter four, we found out that the first charge for the church was to pursue and maintain unity, was to be united as a church. And today we will find the outworking of that unity. Okay, If we are called as a body of Christ to be united, what happens as a result of that? What is going to happen because of that unity? Well, that's what our text is going to cover today. So here we go. Uh, No flashy intro today. Ephesians chapter four. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse seven. So Ephesians four, look at verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's Gift. Now, um, I'm calling today's sermon gifted, gifted, because Paul just said on the on the heels of the call to be united, he just said that grace was given to each one. Grace. That word that we have in our English grace is actually the Greek word charis. C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. Um, and that word is where we get English words like charisma or the English word charismatic. It's from this idea of grace. And while I like that translation, it's probably a little clunkier, but probably better translated or more accurately translated as a gift of grace. A gift of grace is what charis means. So if you've ever heard somebody say, wow, um, that, that, that gal, that guy, they are graced with a gift. Like they're, they're graced with a gift. If you've ever heard that or said that, what do they mean by that? Well, they mean that that person has an ability or a talent or like a gifting, uh, something that they can do, a grace. And the question is, where does that come from? Where does that ability come from? Where does that grace come from? Well, the text says that they come from Christ, that they are Measured out and apportioned out by Christ, their gifts. And I would want to pose to you that when a person gets saved, uh, when, when a person becomes a Christian, God ransoms and redeems not only that person, but all of their gifts, abilities, and talents as well. Your gifts are redeemed by God as well. So each one of us, each one of you, every single one of you was born with something that you had a bent towards, that you are good at, okay? Personality traits and skills that you just kind of had out of the womb. Just things that you are better at than other people by nature, okay? And then when you get saved, God takes some of those talents or gifts that you have and he supercharges them and anoints them for use in his kingdom. So that's what we would call gifts, spiritual gifts. they are these things that you have natural abilities in that God just kind of ramps up in you for his purposes. So when talking about gifts, I always wanna start with this, this question. What are you good at? Like, what are you actually good at? That is likely a gift of grace, a charis in your life. And I always use myself as an illustration because when I was uh, a kid in school, I was always getting busted in class for joking around and for speaking out of turn and for kind of just being a a cut up. Okay, anybody surprised by that? No, you are. Oh, wow, thanks, man. Um, Listen, I was just loud, okay? Okay. By like Out of the womb, I was just loud uh, I, was, I had a quick wit I, I really wanted to be kind of the center of attention And so I was like the class clown in my school And so my teachers would often kick me out of class And they would put me in the hallway With all the other delinquents So it's a great place, right, to be as a delinquent So I, I spent a lot of time in the hall in school So much, in fact, that my teacher put a desk out in the hall for me I mean literally like Slid a desk out into the hall And then when I would cut up She would be like Rolling her eyes And be like Chris go to your desk And I just you know Slink out into the hallway To you know hang out With all my friends Uh, So Never in my wildest dreams though Did I think that one day The thing that I would get In trouble for at school Y'all would pay me a salary That I could buy a house with (laughs) Never Never as I'm getting busted and sent to the hall did I think, hey, you know what? One day God's gonna redeem this. Give me a face mic and that's what I'm gonna get paid to do. But that's what's happened here. It was a gift, a natural ability that God gave me and then God rescued and redeemed. And now he is using for the building up of his kingdom. That's what the text talks about here. These graces, these gifts of grace that he has given. And the text says that he gave them to each one. To everyone, to each one. Question Who in here is a part of everyone? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's a trick question, I know, but like, that's what I'm talking about. Everyone, everyone in this room. So, no matter your background, no matter your upbringing, no matter if you're new to this Christian thing or you've been walking, like, you were born in the baptismal, all right? First word out of your mouth is Jesus. Like doesn't matter, okay? No matter your color, your socioeconomic status, your gender, or your talent level, all of us have gifts to play a part in displaying the wisdom of God. That's what we are called to do. So spiritual spiritual gifts are given to every single believer. Every single believer has at least one spiritual gift and no believer has all of the gifts. Okay, every Christian has a gift. Now, be very careful. I've had conversations with people before who say, Well, I just don't, I'm just not gifted. And I'll just say, Be very, very careful to think or not to think that you're not gifted. That's a double negative. Be very careful not to think that you're not gifted because the Bible just said that you are. The Bible just said that you are if you're in the category of everyone. That's what the text just said. Now, hear me, you might not know what your gifts are, but that's different. That's very different. So don't look at yourself and go, well, I, I can't, I can't you know, preach like that guy. I, I can't sing or, or play an instrument. So uh, you know, I'm not very organizationally savvy. I don't really like kids that much. So I must not be gifted. Like I must not be gifted because if that's the case, then the Bible just lied to you. And listen, when I'm weighing out whether the Bible lied to you or you're wrong, I'll just let you kind of figure out where I'm gonna err on that one, okay? See, the Bible is either lying and you really are worthless, ungifted, totally useless, or you just don't know what your gifts are. And I'm telling you that can be rectified. That can be fixed. So the gifts, these gifts of grace are given to everyone. Now, we're gonna do something that I don't ever like to do. At Fathom, we're going to skip some verses. (sighs) Happy Halloween, okay? No, uh... We are, we are going, to skip, we're going to skip verses 8 through 10, and that's not because they're not uh, important. It's because I'm going to sum them up right here because I think I need to spend a lot of time in verse 11. But 8 through 10 poetically says that Christ gave us these gifts through his death, okay? It says he descended, and then through his resurrection, the text will say that he ascended, and through those works of Christ's death and resurrection, he brought the gifts. So I just summed up those three verses for you now. Verse 11 is where we're going to spend some time. Look at 4, verse 11. And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Okay, here's my first point this morning, okay? God makes provision in this text He he gave is what it said. He makes a provision. He provided. And the question is, what did he provide? What did he give? Well, it comes in the form he gave. That provision comes in the form of gifts. He gave gifts. The provision God makes for the unity of the church is gifts of her members. The provision God gives for the unity of his church is the gifts of her members. Okay, so there are six places. I could bring you six different texts in the New Testament where you will find lists of spiritual gifts. This is one of them. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 is one of those six places. And this list is interesting. There's five gifts mentioned. And there are really two ways to look at this list of these five gifts, okay? One is to look at these five things as roles or offices or positions, Okay, given to specific members of a church. So apostle, prophet, teacher, shepherd. Like these are gifts that are given to, their are offices held by a person. So that's one way of looking at this list. Another way is to look at this list as categories of giftings, larger categories that other gifts function within. So a prophetic gifting, and apostolic gifting. And underneath those umbrellas, those categories, there are other gifts that work. And frankly, I like both of those interpretations. I think there's a bit of both in this text. I think some of these can function as roles or offices that one would hold in a church, but I also see these as categories of other gifts. If not all the gifts actually could fall under one of these five categories. So what I wanna do with the bulk of our time is I wanna break these five things down. I wanna break these five categories or gifts down because I think it'll be really helpful for us to understand how God wants us to build unity as a church. So this is what we're gonna do, the five. The first one that he gives us is uh, the apostles. He gave them apostles. Now, uh, apostle is not a word that we use a whole lot in evangelical circles unless we're talking about the apostles in the New Testament. Most of us don't use the word Uh, Apostle, we don't believe that there is an office or a position of apostle that still exists, although there are some denominations and some churches where they do believe that the office of apostle is still active in the church. Now hear me, I would disagree with that. I would disagree with that. We don't at Fathom believe that there are apostles today in the same way as there were in Paul's day. Okay, Now pastors, so my job, I'm a pastor Pastors are not like the apostles of the New Testament Okay, here's how I'll prove it I am preaching God's word today Peter, Paul, and John wrote God's word Okay, that's a difference That that, that is a different experience, okay? So pastors are not apostles. I don't believe that that office exists in the same way that it did in the first century, but there are apostolic giftings that people within the church can have. So here's how I'll define the apostolic gift, okay? The apostolic gift is the ability to envision and create environments and systems that will allow for discipleship and ministry. I'll say it again, okay? Uh, The apostolic gift is the ability to envision and create environments and systems that allow for discipleship and ministry. So take that outside of the context of the church, take that as a natural ability. Here's what I would say. This gifting can show up in abilities in individuals, whether in the church or outside of the church, the, the, the abilities such as entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurs are working out of some sort of apostolic gifting. Pioneers, strategists, innovators, visionaries, these are all gifts within the apostolic gift set. And now it does show up inside the church. Most frequently we'll think of people who are like church planters or missionaries like those are pl- places where we might think, oh yeah, that's an apostolic gift set. But I think it comes wider than that. I think it's a wider gift set than that. And it can show up in forms of people who, are, who like to create things, like creatives. People who like to organize and strategize and think about the future of things. People who can see vision and strategy for how to develop out things. I mean, so this one, does, it kind of has like a, it has kind of an administrative side to it. If you've got a a mind for systems, this might be you. Do you have a, a mind for details, processes, and strategies? Do you want to build and create structures to help people go deeper with God? That's an apostolic gifting. It's an apostolic gifting. You might be working in that gift set. See, some of you are wired like this. Right, some of you you'd never get up here with a face mic. You don't even want to get over here to this mic and do the scripture reading. But man, behind closed doors, you can systematize and build things out, and your structures, and you you're a process-oriented person. So there are lots of sub gifts that can fit into this category, but the the apostolic gift set is essential for the life of a church. You've never set foot inside of a church that didn't have some sort of apostolic gift set person or people who helped that thing develop into what it was. That's the apostolic gift set. Number two, second, the prophets. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets. Now again, this term uh, is misunderstood. It's uh, misinterpreted. It's actually abused in a lot of cases, church cases. Uh, So let me work through the prophet, okay? Um, I don't know if you've ever been to like a more charismatic expression of church or like a charismatic conference. I've been to some of these things like charismatic Pentecostal churches, services, uh, conferences. I've been all over the place. And listen, y'all, if you're not used to that, if you walk into a charismatic experience and you're not used to it, it'll feel a little weird at first. Like, if you've ever walked in to it, it's just a little crazy. I mean, it's like crazy. They're off the the chains. It's it's invigorating in some ways, but it can also be like, what is happening here? Right? Because people are like dancing around, waving flags like they're at a European soccer match. I mean, have you ever been this? Like, it's crazy. I mean, people are speaking in tongues in other languages, getting knocked down in the spirit. I was at a church, at a service where people were getting slain in the spirit. And I'm in college. I'm standing there and I'm like that pastor's smaller than me. Like he's going to have, the spirit is going to have to knock me down because that bro ain't taking me down. Like it's going to have to be you Lord. Cause he's not pushing me over. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you see in some of these places. One of the most bizarre things I've ever witnesses witnessed though was at a worship conference at a very charismatic church in the back of the room, they were selling what they called prophecy garments. And so I took a picture of one of these prophecy garments That was what they were selling for a sizable sum in the back of the conference. Apparently, you can, I don't want to step on any toes, okay? But here we go. Um, Apparently, you can wear one of those weird looking leotard things and it will enhance the gift of prophecy. How, I'm not sure. Flags and danglies apparently, do that, but that's what this was. So listen, for, for pastor appreciation month, if you want to get me one of these things, (laughs) I will gently, but gladly send you to another church. Okay. (laughs) That's not happening. All right. But, but what do we, what are we talking about by profit here? What do we talk about this? Well, this, I would also say is no longer a position in the same way that it was in the scriptures but it very much is a gifting, a gift set. In the Old Testament, there was the office of prophet, the prophets, guys like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. These are prophets. And the prophet in the Old Testament came with the authority to speak and write the very words of God that have, been in div- that have absolute divine authority. Okay. Prophets could say, thus saith the Lord. And listen, it was authoritative. And I don't know why in my mind, prophets always speak in the old King James, but they do. Thus saith the Lord. And they, that was the word of God. Now in the new Testament, the office of prophet is actually superseded by the office of apostle. So the apostles took the place of the Old Testament office of prophet in the New Testament and the the apostles at that point, what they wrote and what they spoke was then made authoritative and canonized in the scriptures. So that's how the apostles could do the thus saith the Lord thing. But now, listen to me, I'm gonna say this clearly. Now, today, no one, gets to say, thus saith the Lord, any more, unless they're pointing to what has already been revealed in the scriptures. No one, no one. So in the New Testament, what is a prophet then? Well, prophecy or the word prophet in the New Testament most commonly referred to ordinary Christians, ordinary believers in Christ who spoke not with the absolute divine authority, thus saith the Lord, but simply ordinary Christians repeating something that God had laid on their hearts or brought to their minds. Okay, so there's a difference. Hear me, there's a difference between a big P prophet and the gift of prophecy. Don't think fortune-telling. Don't think thus saith the Lord. Think about impressions that the Holy Spirit might lay on your heart to build up the body. So just as with the apostolic gift, okay, the prophetic gift can manifest itself in many, many different ways. The prophetic can show up in many different ways. So if you are an encourager, if you're just by nature an encourager, okay? Like you can just get a sense when someone needs to be encouraged or when someone needs to be built up or when somebody needs to be cared for, you are likely working in this gift. You're likely working in this gift. You, uh, you ever say this, something like this? Hey, how you doing? Uh, the, the Lord really laid you on my heart this week. You ever say something like that? Oh man, God really, br- God just brought, brought you to mind this week. That, what if that's actually the Holy Spirit of God whispering to you? Like seriously, what if the dozens and dozens of times each week somebody flashes through your mind or you get some impulse to, to say something encouraging, to, to reach out to a person, to, to care for them? Like what if there's something actually divine going on beneath that and we just chalk it up to stuff through, flowing through our heads? You're like, oh, I just heard that song and it brought that person to mind. What if God was behind that? What if God was behind that? So, so that might be you working in a, in a prophetic gift. Now, there's a lot of discernment that needs to go into this. We're not doing a whole sermon on prophecy. We did that back in 1 Corinthians. So there's a lot of discernment, a lot of listening, a lot of wisdom, a lot of ability to communicate. And, and, and so, so that's, there's a lot of outworkings of this gift set. And this must be said, okay? Those feelings, those senses that you get, they always must be subservient to the revealed word of God in the Bible. They will never come count, counter or contrary to what God has revealed in the Bible. But I think it's a gift set that we work in, sometimes even unknowingly. All right, the apostles, the prophets, number three, the evangelists. The evangelists, okay? Now, I have heard uh, the argument from, really, from those who don't ever want to talk about Jesus to another human being um, that they don't have to evangelize because they don't have the gift of evangelism. Because it's right here, that it's a gift. Okay, you ever heard that? Here's a, anybody wanna be honest? You ever say that? Because I have. <laughs> oh, I'm just not an evangelist, so I don't have to do this. Okay, I love the gift of evangelism. Let me flesh this one out. This is the first gift in the list that I do think functions as an office and as a gifting, it's the first one in the list. Okay, I do believe there is an office of evangelist. I think if you have the gift of evangelism at like a super hyped level, you're an evangelist. You've got a role and a responsibility with that gifting. And so, so there are some of you, man, you are extra gifted with the ability to recruit. Right? You have this, uh, this unafraid kind of posture about talking about your faith. You're not afraid of it like most of us are. Right? You, you just have this extra burden on your heart. Like you, Your heart actually breaks for your friends and your family who don't know Jesus. You, you have a burden, an extra loaded burden on your heart for the lost. And so there is this gifting of evangelism, but there's also the evangelist, this, this person who is supercharged in those things. Now, you want to know something interesting about evangelism, about the evangelists. I'll tell you this. This is the only spiritual gift that Paul tells us to do, even if we don't have the gift. It's the only gift that Paul tells us to do, whether we have it or not. Listen, if you don't have the gift of singing, I'm not going to let you sing. You should never sing, okay? I'm just telling you that. Like, we will not let you on stage with a microphone. And that's good and right. And this is the only place where Paul says, hey... Even if you don't have the gift of evangelism, you should do the work of an evangelist. evangelist. So I'll I'll give you this, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor actually at the church of Ephesus. Paul's writing him letters in first and second Timothy. In first Timothy, he says, hey, don't neglect the gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands, which was apparently teaching and preaching. Timothy was apparently good at teaching, good at preaching. He was an elder in this church. But then Timothy apparently was not given the gift of evangelism. Because in 2 Timothy, Paul later tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. So he says, don't neglect your gift and do the work of an evangelist. And so I would say, I think that's true for us too. I think that's true for us as well. Some of you, listen, some of you are gifted in evangelism. You're gifted in this, so do it. So do it, get after it, okay? You're going to have much better results than most of us when we come to evangelize, but, be, but because you're better at it than most of us. More people will come to know Christ because of you. So go for it, okay? Invest, invite, recruit, talk, share, reach out, get after it. Like go, use the gift of evangelism. But, but even if you don't have the gift even if you don't feel gifted as an evangelist, the scripture says, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, here's where people will say, well, pastor, you know, is this where you try to convince us to just do really awkward things and get totally awkward with our friends, right? Is this is this where is this where we start to get weird with our neighbors and we start handing out tracts and, you know, just doing weird stuff? Is this, is this what you're asking us to do? The answer is, yeah, I mean, kind of. All right, so maybe not totally, but let me explain. Uh, you know what tracks are? You know what track, tra- everybody know? Tra- a track is like a Jesus pamphlet, okay? Worst track I ever saw was at a restaurant. It looked like a $100 bill, and they slipped that thing into the, the little bifold, and the, you know, the waitress is like $100, and they pull it out. It's like, Jesus is the ultimate gift. And it's like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Like, do you think that anybody's like, oh yes, praise the Lord, I'm gonna come to your church now. I'm gonna become a Christian because of that fake $100 you gave me. If you do that, you better give them $100. That's all I'm saying. All right, there better be a $100 tip written in on that. But uh, I have only been track bombed once. Just so you know, I've only been track bombed once and it was back before I was a Christian, okay? I was uh, in high school in the boys' restroom, okay? Uh, or bathroom. I don't know what it is in public. Is it a, ba- is it a bathroom or a restroom in public? because I was there to do neither, bathe nor rest, okay? That was not what I was there to do. But I was in high school, I'm in the the, the boys' bathroom, another guy walks in, another student walks in, and I don't know what was going through his kind of evangelistic thought process, like at that moment. Maybe he walked in, he was just kind of like, hey, well, he's in there, just sitting there, can't go anywhere, hey, maybe he could use some reading material. Like that's, is that, you think that's what's going on in his head? Because I'm just sitting there minding my business and under the stall (laughs) slides a track. I'm not joking, okay? Under the stall slides a track. And then I hear this kid say, Jesus loves you. And then he bolts out and slams the door in the bathroom. That was his process, okay? And I'm like, dude, come on, right? Like, but this was before the iPhone. So I picked it up because I didn't have anything else to read. So I, I picked up the track And the track said something like this. It said this, things you won't have in hell. You want water in hell? There's no water in hell. You want comfort in hell? There's no comfort in hell. You want friends in hell? There's no friends in hell. And I'm sitting there reading that and I'm like, well, there probably won't be tracks in hell. So that's, you know, maybe a benefit on this one. Okay, But, but listen, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to be awkward and weird and all of that, okay? But, now hear me, I much prefer the awkward ways we used to do something than, than the much cooler ways today that we don't do anything. See, in, in hopes to be cool and to be accepted and to not look weird in front of our friends, we have opted out of evangelism and given up on it Because we want to be cool. I'm just telling you, you guys aren't cool. We're not cool. Okay, so real talk for a minute. Just real talk for a minute. Pastor Chris, to you guys. I've been following Jesus for a couple of decades now. I've been in ministry for a long time at this point. And to this day, I have never not felt awkward when it came time for me to start discussions about Jesus Christ with those who I'm trying to evangelize. It's never not been awkward for me. All right. And, and sometimes when I tell that, like to people, they get a little shocked and they're like, wait, he's, he's the pastor. Is he allowed to say that? But I'm just telling you, it's true. Give me a face, Mike, and I'm happy. Okay. But make me share my faith in individual situations. And I feel scared. And sometimes they're, they're shocked by that and they freak out on that. But listen, like I've been on the airplane. I've been sitting in the seat on the airplane with this internal dialogue going on in my head where I'm like, just say it you're a pastor, just say it. Come on, just say it. Just, just, just say it. And I'm like, hey, right to the person next to me. Just nervous. And it's like, uh, I, I, I never, it's never gotten less awkward, but hear me. I try to do it. And sometimes I chicken out. Just real talk. Sometimes I back out and I put my earbuds in and on the flight, I just listen to something. Now, sometimes we are taught that we should ask people, hey, if you were to die tonight, If you're to die tonight and you were standing before the Lord and he said, hey, why should I let you in? What would you say? Like that's kind of the the traditional opening line to an evangelistic moment with someone. And I would just encourage you that if you're talking with a complete stranger, don't lead with their imminent death. Especially if you're on a plane, all right? Right, huh? Hey, if you were to die tonight, they're like, ah, what do you know that I don't know? Okay, so like maybe try a different opening line. And this is, but this is what I'm saying. Doing the work of evangelist, it, it will require most of us to be uncomfortable and to try some strategies that I think are better suited for it. So here's a couple of the strategies that I use. Um, when I go on a plane, I bring a book, a Christian book that's obviously Christian, or I have my Bible, because it's just easier to start a conversation from there. All right? Uh, I have a fathom sticker on my truck. And I can't believe how many conversations in parking lots of Target I have with people who are like, oh, F- F- Phantom Church, what's that? And I'm like, oh, you can't read? It's Mission Hills, actually. That's where, um, that's where I go. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, but, uh, but legitimate, I mean, F- Phantom Church, it's like, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? It's a take on the Holy Spirit. Come and visit us. That's what I normally say. Or like, I did this with my neighbors. I do this with my neighbors often. They know that I'm a pastor, and I just will go to them and I'll just say, hey, I'm going to church. Is there anything I can pray for you? Anything that I can pray. And I'll just tell you, I have never had even the strongest atheist be offended when I've offered to pray for them. To pray for their, their kids or for their marriage or for their job. They're just thankful that somebody was thinking or praying for them. Do the work of an evangelist. Okay, number four, I'm, we gotta hustle, okay? Four, the shepherds. The shepherds. Uh, If you're reading from a different translation, you might see pastor here. Shepherd, pastor, these are both translated similarly. And this is an office. Okay, this is a position within a church. Listen, I'm a pastor. Surprise, okay? I am a pastor. Uh, We have shepherding elders here at Fathom. So this is an office, but not exclusively. Not exclusively an office. This is a gifting That you might have, even if you might never go into vocational ministry. This might be a gift that you have. So, Paul, here, as he's talking about shepherding, is talking about those who have been given the gift of shepherds. And a shepherd, here's what a shepherd does a shepherd guards and leads and directs a flock of men and women while caring for them individually. A shepherd cares for individuals and a shepherd cares for the group. So uh, in our church, in our positions here at the church, D group leaders, you guys will function as shepherds. But if you are an encourager, you might be in the gift of shepherding, mentors, counselors, Those who work with kids, those who work with youth, you might have the gift of a shepherd. You might have the gift of a shepherd. Shepherds are, here's the key. Shepherds are driven by people. People, they're people people. That's what you need to know. They are nurturers and lovers of relationships. They are disciplers and connectors. They pray for and comfort others. They're shepherds. They love people. Okay, number five, last one. Finally, the teachers, the teachers. Now, again, I don't think this one should be distilled down to what I'm doing right now. Okay, I don't think this should be distilled down to somebody who stands up in front of a group of people and talks. Like a, uh, like a, like a preacher does, or a teacher in a classroom setting or something like that. Uh, in the, it is that, that is this, this gift, but it's more than that. So yes, I'm working in this gift and and Gary worked in this gift this summer as he taught our Fathom Academy class and Bible study leaders and Sunday school teachers. They work in the teaching gift, but some of the very best teachers I've ever met um, have been one-on-one mentoring teachers. Like one-on-one walking with me, discipling me, that is using a teaching gift. Teachers are men and women who help clarify the revealed word of God. That's all a teacher does. They help clarify what this stuff means. They discern and they guide and they help people understand God and their faith. That's what a teacher does. So those are the five. Those are the five. While I do think that some of these are offices or roles, I also think that they are great categories for us to understand most, if not all, of our gifts. And I'll go so far, I don't think this is making too sweeping a statement, but I'll go so far as to say that every single one of us, each one in this room, has at least one of those categories of gifts. That you fall into at least one, if not multiple, categories of those Five. Whether you have the gift of hospitality or singing or administration or serving, uh, you all fit in those categories. So these are God's provision. Those gifts are God's provision. Next, what's God's process? He, He gives us gifts. That's his provision. But what is the process? Well, the next verse tells us, look at verse 12. I promise we'll be done on time. Verse 12. He gave all these things to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay. God's process is equipping. God's provision was gifts and his process is equipping. It's equipping. So we all work in our gifts to equip the saints, And the saints are all of us. Okay, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. If you were raised Catholic, you can call your Nana tonight and say, Nana, Pastor Chris told me I'm a saint. You don't have to pray to me. You don't have to vote on me. You don't have to wear a necklace with my face on it, but I'm a saint. You're a saint, okay? That's what that text means. So we are all to work in our gifts to equip the saints. We use the gifts that God gives us to equip one another for more ministry. And that's how the Bible just said we will build up the church in unity is by equipping one another in our gifts. So what this means, uh, actually the Proverbs call this iron sharpening iron. You've ever used that? Normally, it's like a man's verse for like a men's group, but this is like the whole, iron sharpening iron. That's this idea here. You have a gift and it's iron. I have a gift and it's iron and we come together and we sharpen one another. What this means is you need me. You need me, and I need you. We need each other for the body to be built up. And now, this is why last week was so important, talking about unity, being united in Christ. That's why it's so important, because, listen, if you have the apostolic gift, like if you're concerned with structures and systems and how things work, then the shepherd might show up and be like, hey, don't you even care about people, man? You only care about processes, but you should really care about people. And then the teacher's like, well, it's nice that you have a process and you care about people, but what about the truth? The teacher's like, you gotta teach the truth of God's word. And the prophet's like, but let's not neglect listening to like the living spirits, right? And so the prophet is like, yeah, the revealed word, but we also need to keep our ears open. And then the evangelist is just freaking everybody else out, out on main street, handing out tracts and sharing Christ. And and, and you see here, Unity is necessary for all five of those gifts to work together to build up the body. That's why being united is so important so that we will equip one another. Now, my last point is this. What is God's end purpose in all of this? What's the end result? What's the end purpose in this whole giving these gifts Build up and equip one another? What's the end? Well, verses 13 through 16 tell us the result of this, the end of this, the purpose of this. So I'll read these last few verses. He gave all these things to equip the saints for the work of the ministry until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the structure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, I could preach a whole sermon just on those four verses. I didn't want to do that to you, but here's how I'll sum up that bit. God's purpose of all these gifts is that we might find maturity. The purpose of all this unity, the purpose of all these gifts, and then the equipping is that we might all attain to maturity. Manhood or womanhood, adulthood, no longer being children, that we'd be made mature. You see, when we often think that Christian maturity is actually defined as needing less and less help. We we often think that being a mature Christian means I can self-feed. I don't really need instruction. I've got this maturity down. I've got some, my, my sins under control. Like I'm doing this. I'm doing fine. I've got this. We often think that that's the stance of maturity, but this text just emphatically said, nope, that's wrong. See, maturity is realizing how dependent we are on Christ and on other believers. That's the sign of maturity, more and more leaning into others. And so I'll say it like this, self-reliance is actually self-sabotage. In faith, in a journey with Jesus, the more you rely on yourself is the more you're going to sabotage what's going on. So this passage tells us that we're all gifted. You are all, we are all gifted, you and I. And I just want challenge to challenge us with this as we close up. It's really simple. Paul said it in verse 15. Look again at verse 15. In verse 15, Paul said that we are to speak the truth in love, And that's in the context of gifts, y'all. So speaking the truth in love is not necessarily around actually telling all the truth in love, but it's about telling the truth to one another about one another. So speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And so what I wanna take from this, this gifted sermon, is that we're called to grow up. It's time to grow up. Okay, some of you have been sitting on the sidelines in church for far too long. You've been on the bench for too long. And I would just say, listen, it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to get in the game. You you don't know what what your gift is. You don't know where you would fit in. You don't know what category you work in. Goodness, we are a small church. One of the great benefits is that you get access here. So, reach out to me to an elder to a staff member we will meet with you we will work with you to try and figure out what you're gifted in that feels too much hey you want to know the easiest way i think to find out what you're actually gifted in join a group get in a smaller community walk with them for a season and then ask them in honesty hey guys uh what do you think i'm good at what do you think i'm gifted in and if they will speak the truth in love to you, they'll tell you, bro, you should never sing. But I love you. You're an encourage. like every time I'm with you, you encourage me, you lift me up. That's one of the best ways to find your gift is in community. So guys, it's, 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 it's the call to grow up. You have gifts that, that I will never be able to operate in. Okay, you have abilities that no matter how how much time I put in, no matter how much energy I spend, I can read books, I can go to conferences, I can get another degree, and I will never be able to accomplish what you can because you're gifted in ways that I'm not. And I'm just looking around this room and I look around at your faces and I see all sorts of people with all sorts of personalities and all sorts of gifts. And I think, man, let's go. Let's grow up. Let's do this together. You're gifted for a reason So let's get after it until we all attain maturity. We need you. Let's pray together. Lord, I bless you today. And I'm grateful for this text. What seems, Father, like the kind of text that doesn't have that kind of emotional ending, that heart-drawn ending where, where we... We feel all the feels and we sense all the the, the wooings of the spirit. And yet, Lord, I wanna take this real technical passage and I want you, Father, to soften our hearts to hear it. That this is the way you're building your church. Not through five offices, not through five occupations, but through five gift sets that all of us work in that each one of us is gifted and each one of us is needed to equip each one of us so that we would all be grown up into maturity. So I'm thinking of people who don't know what they're gifted in. Or would you give them courage to investigate, to have conversations, to meet with people, to join community and to find out where they fit? Lord, I'm thinking of people who know what they're gifted in, but they've just been kind of hanging out on the sidelines because they don't think it fits in three or four categories that we need here at the church. And I would just say, Lord, would you give them a vision of creativity? That there are more creative ways to build up the kingdom than just singing or holding babies or talking. Lord, I pray we'd help them discover what those things are together. That call us off the sidelines, build us up into the body you want us to be, united and gifted so that we would all be matured. So Father, thanks for this text. We we pray that it moves from information in our heads to transformation in our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.